This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Yen Woon Ranning, CEO of MilkFep, the National Fluid Milk Processor Promotion Board. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with MilkPep's Yen Woon Ranning next. Today's open mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net, providing individualized protection on more than 445 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The fluid milk industry's future is that of both opportunity and challenge. On one hand, health-conscious consumers are looking to nutritious, natural foods that fit in an active lifestyle. On the other, their fast, on-the-go lifestyle challenges fluid milk in their diet. Yen Woon Rani, CEO of MilkPep, brings a world of food industry experience to her role in educating and promoting milk on behalf of the nation's fluid milk processors. Woon Rani says consumers have a lot of options. There's just such an enormous amount of choice that consumers face today, and frankly every category, in the grocery store outside. And so I think dairy and milk particularly just have to willing to stand up and compete when the uh, competition for consumers' attention and preference and share of stomach and shelf space is so very acute. That would be one thing. The second thing is interesting to see how wellness and nutrition and health is on this rapidly evolving journey from perhaps the way that milk was first regarded to just a broader definition of what healthy means, a more maybe holistic look at health, and increasingly, we also talk about health and wellness, including planetary health and the role of sustainability and environmental concerns becoming more central than I have ever seen in my whole career. Who does MilkPep represent and, and what does the name stand for? Yeah, the, uh, the, the name answers the questions a little bit because MilkPep, PEP stands for Processor Education Program. So MilkPep is funded by the milk companies of so the milk processors of America Anyone who processes class one fluid milk pays into the program that is administered by the USDA. So we're one of several checkoff programs that those in the agriculture industry are familiar with. Um, but we're only assessed on class one fluid milk, not other uses of milk of which there are plenty. So it was created to help processes basically make sure that consumers understood the benefits and uses of milk and to encourage the consumption of fluid milk specifically. What's the relationship then, or is there a relationship with the dairy checkoff that primarily is the producer? The programs have worked in partnership for a very long time. I mean, the producer one pre-existed MilkPep and, uh, and the California version of the same program. So I'm proud to report that we work together very closely. You know, they represent obviously a much bigger sector in terms of all raw milk and therefore all the final uses of it, ice cream, yogurt, butter, cheese. Um, but we do partner together both strategically and executionally. And frankly, as you know, probably as an observer of the industry, an increasing amount of both production and processing is held by co-ops and therefore farmer ownership. 
And so I think our relationship has become even more intimate and even more aligned uh, in what we care about. But they have a much broader remit than we do in general. Do you see a different attitude among consumers pre-pandemic and post-pandemic? During the height of the pandemic, there was actually a huge return to fluid milk and classroom milk and maybe even more than other forms of dairy. Cheese and butter actually took more of a hit because a lot of their consumption is outside the home, particularly in restaurant chains. And conversely, most of milk consumption is at home. So during the surge um, of 2020, we saw a huge spike um, in, in demand, and we continue to do a lot of consumer attitude work. And it was interestingly very affirming. I, I People actually are very fond of milk and don't really have as much negative attitudes in general as people might perceive in the press. It's just that they're not home that much. And once they were home and they were eating cereal and having lunch at home, particularly those who had children, we did see a big return in consumption. So I think those attitudes are are positive going in. The behavior was very positive during. Coming out of the pandemic, I think it's just been a return more to an on-the-go lifestyle that has affected the um, consumption of milk. But the attitudes towards milk are actually shockingly positive on on average, I would say, um, despite what the press says. How do you go about enforcing the same story of health and nutrition that our grandparents shared with us, and to stay in a niche in front of a consumer today. That is exactly what Maltep's challenge and opportunity is. The only kind of nuance I would point out is there has been a ton more innovation on the product side than I think people are aware of. Um, what we consider added value or premium milk, including lactose-free and other forms like probiotics, et cetera, et cetera, in that category, it's, it's healthy, it's growing, and it's still bigger than the plant-based category. And people often don't realize that when they talk about milk. The tendency is to focus on the conventional gallon because it's so ubiquitous um, and so well-known. But there has been a ton of innovation in the industry, even since I started. But over the last five or ten years, um, milk processes are responding to consumer demand and coming out with new variants, single-serve sizes, health-enhanced benefits, so I would be remiss not to mention the degree of innovation that does exist. But in terms of NOPEP, we're interested in driving the whole category, including the conventional part. So our big focus really is on driving what we call reconsideration, getting people to pause and stop and really examine what makes milk so special. Um, I'm very, very new to the dairy industry. I've only three years under my belt, which makes me a baby given the tenure of most of my stakeholder group. Um, but one of the good things about that is that I do come to the category with the eyes of a stranger. And one of the reasons I took this job is that the product, the base product itself, is frankly kind of amazing. I mean, the nutritional powerhouse and the sheer plethora of science back claims that you can make on that so-called boring product and the boring gallon jug it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, like I said, I've worked in food and beverage and 10 or 12 other CPG categories, and I have literally spent two or three years chasing down a single claim that I can put on package and advertising. And in milk, you're literally rolling in claims. Like, we have more claims than we have real estate for. So a lot of what milk prep is focusing on right now is really positioning milk as a performance drink that can help fuel every day and elite athletic performance. And bringing back some of these fundamental things that milk can fuel, be it, you know, calcium and protein and growth and muscle strength and recovery. I mean, it could go on and on and on. And we're trying to bring those claims back in a contemporary way 
by using digital and social media and interesting partnerships so people don't take no for granted, basically. With all the benefits that we find, even in the simple white gallon or glass of milk or of flavored milks and the other options that are available, what do we find about milk consumption? Is it on the rise? Are you stagnant? Or is there a decline given the competition of so many other beverages out there for people to enjoy? I mean, there has been a decline for several decades, but during the pandemic, we obviously gained some back. And frankly, I think the biggest structural and secular issue is really the on-the-go issue. At home and at breakfast, it's still well-consumed, particularly in households with kids, etc., etc. But people over the last couple of decades or more just have more on-the-go occasions. And frankly, breakfast has been the bastion of milk consumption, and there's been so much on-the-go breakfast development, if you think about all the QSRs entering that space. So I think it's stable to declining, but the industry is trying to respond by having more shelf-stable, more on-the-go, more things you can take with you. But milk's blessing of being a fresh, chilled product is also a curse in some ways because it's not as portable as some of the options like bottled water. So what's the difference in targeting children and targeting adults? It's a good question. I mean, we, you know, we are obviously careful and follow all the guidelines in terms of targeting kids directly. Our focus right now is what we consider modern families. So the families with, you know, one, two, four kids in it, and we're targeting a bit more of a, of an attitude and a lifestyle. Generally speaking, what we do is we are trying to promote, as I mentioned before, the benefits and the claims. But for the children, we try to do it in a way that is appealing to them, more fun, more engaging. Specifically, we've actually been leveraging a set of very hilarious, if I do say so myself, cartoon characters uh, with names that are little milk icons, and they each tell, make these little short films promoting given benefits. You can check them out on YouTube if you want. So that's one example of sort of just having a straight-up claim like we do for the adults. We try to translate it into a fun piece of video content that's getting really good engagement so far. So that's one example We've also dabbled in gaming. We had a great Roblox sponsorship last year as part of the Olympic partnership. Roblox is the most popular online gaming platform for tweens, and so we sponsored an entire milk game section. And then coming later this year, uh, probably under embargo, we are going to make another big push into gaming. So we try to find the right channel and the right mechanisms to reach them, but fundamentally, we're still trying to reinforce the critical benefits of milk in a way that kids can appreciate. I was surprised to talk earlier this year as we were talking with uh, uh, Dairy Management Incorporated that they were looking at the gaming area and trying to get some of the the uh, all-star gamers uh, to enjoy milk and maybe even to write milk into some of the games and the programs. Uh, being a baby boomer, I would never have thought of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we and DMI are both focused on Gen Zs and their parents, I would say. And gaming in a Gen Z's life is as ubiquitous as television or newspapers or anything that you consider a daily habit. I mean, I have a 16-year-old at home, and for him, a video game is just part and parcel of the fabric of his existence. And so I think it's logical when you're trying to target an audience that gaming enters the conversation very easily uh, in terms of something that that age group cares a lot about, spends a lot of time with. I do think from an advertising standpoint, you have to be thoughtful about how you enter it. It's not just as simple as dropping a banner ad or product placement and hoping for the best. I think 
it's a whole environment, it's a whole ecosystem. You have to respect the rules of that environment. So using gaming influences and understanding their rules is super important. But you might be interested to hear, and I'm sure the DMI shared this with you, there's a couple of games where milk already shows up organically in the gameplay as a power-up, as a healing agent in the popular game Minecraft. You can you can build farms, you can raise cows. So milk and dairy already is showing up in some of these environments and platforms. But for Gen Z, it's hard to talk about them and not talk about gaming. And it's not just boys. It's really very gender control. Yeah, and over a period of time, I have appreciated uh, certainly the producer-led promotion of their product. You know, pork the other white meat, beef it's what's for dinner. But but I think one of the most successful and profound was that of Got Milk and showing athletes and celebrities and others that indirectly endorsing your product and, and standing beside it. What did Got Milk do for the industry at that time? And, and I understand it's coming back again. That's right. I mean, Got Milk is one of the most celebrated and iconic advertising campaigns, at least in this country, for sure, and regularly shows up on all the top ten lists. I think it did a really nice job of reinforcing nutritional claims in the body copy, but connecting milk with pop culture and making it relevant and showing basically that anybody you could think of, every famous person from athletes to actors um, to anybody really was in the milk franchise. It had been retired for a few years nationally. California has continued to use it. Um, but we brought it out of the vault in 2020 during the pandemic season. And we always describe it as reinventing got milk for the social media generation. So we continue to use athletes like Katie Ledecky and Tony Hawk and our wonderful Team Milk Olympic athletes and our wonderful NFL athletes. But we also make it a point to include everyday influencers because social media, I think, has changed the nation of celebrities. You know, I don't think celebrities are so much on a pedestal when everybody is a content creator, everybody is an influencer. So we try to bring that focus on pop culture and relevance into the digital and social media age. But the Got Milk line is clearly very powerful. We were interested to hear when we were bringing it back that among kids who really should not have been exposed to it, it has over a 70% recall. When we think about what influences the consumer, uh, it seems that we have a much more health-conscious society today that we did, and it would seem naturally that once a consumer is aware of all the benefits of milk and of dairy products, it'd be a no-brainer. But at some point, you have to convince the consumer to make that choice. Let's think about the convenience store, where people might traditionally reach for an energy drink or a sports drink. How does the label and how does having information perhaps change their decision for what they might reach for during the day or for snack? The convenience channel is a challenging one, but also full of opportunity. I mean, as I mentioned before, single-serve and on-the-go products, not all of which are fully class one because they tend to have some form of additives in it like core power or protein. I mean, that definitely is an important on-the-go channel. Obviously, it's somewhat limited real estate in terms of both shelf facings and then in terms of actual label real estate, as you're mentioning. But I think the single sort of packages do a nice job, generally, of communicating milk in an on-the-go format. Um, but it is, you know, it is challenging. It's a difficult channel to service in terms of a direct store delivery model. But I do think it is an important one you know, going forward in, in terms of having milk be relevant for an on-the-go lifestyle, and I've seen lots of processes, you know, enter that fray 
um, to different degrees of investment, but I do think that will be part of the future solution. What about the school lunch and school meal program? How important is that to the fluid milk industry? I mean, it is between 7 to 10% of volume, but our belief that it is culturally important, it is also important from a lifestyle value standpoint, because, frankly, a lot of kids, that's where they get the bulk of their milk, and they may not be drinking as much of it at home. So we're big believers that it's important to protect and support the delivery of milk in schools and even these challenging supply chain times. It plays a really critical role in the nutritional delivery of school lunches, which, as you might know, the funding of them is not all that much generous. And so having milk on the plate really brings critical nutrients to the child, especially a child in need. As you know, milk provides 13 essential nutrients, four of which are concerned in American diets. And so without milk on that school lunch plate, the school lunch is just not valuable nutritiously and relying on that school lunch for a big bulk of their daily nutrition. Yen, I would be curious, during your time at Campbell's, which wasn't that long ago, had you started to see the influence of sustainability or the sustainability message on the consumer buying attitude and with regard to milk, is there a sustainability story that can verify or solidify their choice to go with the dairy product? And a lot of the, my focus at Campbell's and the company's focus at Campbell's was, quote-unquote, the future of real food. So we definitely saw sustainability as a, at that point, you know, an emerging area of concern, um, even for a product like Campbell's. Um, from both the ingredient side to things like recycling of the can. But I will say it has been one of the trends that I have been interested to see how quickly it has accelerated in the last three years, five years, call it what you will. I mean, I've been talking about sustainability and ESG issues since the very beginning of my career 25 years ago. But frankly, it was always kind of on the side. It was like, oh, nice to know, a little coastal, a little niche. I would say in the last three to five years, I've really seen it become much more central than even it was during my time at Campbell's. I think across the board, not confined to agriculture, not confined to dairy and milk. And I think the younger you go among the consumers of the group, the more critical it becomes. So far, it is not still at the very top of the list in terms of purchase decisioning, nutrition and benefits and what's in it for me, the difference of my lifestyle are still super critical. But increasingly, you see younger people particularly wanting to put their purpose and their values into place and environmental concerns are definitely very central mm-hmm. to that. Um, one of the things the milk industry is working on is making sure that we are, A, doing the right things and getting ahead of the conversation and also, frankly, taking credit for a lot of the sustainable progress that has been made um, before it becomes uh, hits this tipping point where it does become to a point where consumers are rejecting dairy um, for the wrong reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But right now, I would say it's in the mix. It's definitely growing. Um, we have a, a lots of focus efforts on both improving what we're doing and telling the story of what we're doing on sustainability, but it's not quite yet at the very top of the list, even for the youngest, most progressive consumers. Does the story of sustainability include just the processor, or do you combine the processor and the producer into one of providing such a wholesome product. No, we really do try to think about sustainability as a total value chain storyline, and this is actually one of the areas that we partner very, very deeply with DMI, who have done a ton of great work in the producing industry. Every part of the value chain contributes, and every part of the value chain is working hard to manage and 
minimize their environmental footprint. So, and, you know, different parts of the supply chain focus on different things. All the the methane and greenhouse gas impacts are more acute at the producer level, but processors have the very specific and unique issues around packaging and recycling, et cetera, et cetera. So sustainability is truly a very global issue, both in terms of geographically global, but also global in terms of it reaches truly across the value chain, including customers, including um, consumers in their homes. So we try to tell the stories and celebrate the stories um, across the whole value chain. Well, Yenwen Ronnie, we want to thank you very much for spending uh, time with us on this edition of Open Mic. A lot of information shared over the past few minutes, and we thank you for your time. Uh, it is Open Mic, and the tradition at Open Mic is that you have the last word. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to share uh, so much about this industry that has such an amazing product at the center of it, and what we're up to at Nolpep. I guess my my final word is just to remind people how essential milk is in the American diet and how it deserves a role in diets today, particularly of young people. And we're very proud of our current tagline and campaign that we've been using that we call, you're going to need milk for that, because you really do. You need milk to reach your full potential, particularly if you're a young person. You're going to need milk for that to reach your sustainability goals. If you're a retail customer, you're going to need milk for that to reach your traffic and profit goals. So we really do think milk is a very essential part of the ecosystem and the economy. Our thanks to Yen Woon Rani, CEO of MilkPep, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jack Nally.